Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute honor and a privilege to step foot inside your church, have this microphone. I never take it for granted and never take it lightly. Let's pray, hey? Thank you, Lord. Father God, we pray today that your word will refresh. It will comfort. It will strengthen. It will provoke change, God. More importantly, God, that it will breathe new life in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe I do have a word this morning, but just wondering if you've ever had a bad day. Now, I'm Australian, okay? I've been here almost five years. So you can take the girl out of Aussie, but you can't take the Aussie out of the girl. So there could be some words you may not get. Maybe it might be my accent. But I'm trying to be British, all right? But I may fail along the way. Ever had a bad day? Ever had one of those days where nothing goes right? Well, listen to this story. This might just encourage some of you. A man was working on his motorbike on the patio. His wife was nearby in the kitchen. While racing the engine, the motorcycle accidentally slipped into gear. The man was still holding on to the handlebars, then dragged along and burst through the glass patio doors. His wife, hearing the crash, ran to the room to find her husband cut and bleeding, the motorcycle and the shattered patio door. She called for an ambulance and because the house sat on a fairly high hill or fairly steep hill, went down several flights of stairs to meet the paramedics and escort them up to where her husband was. While the attendants were loading her husband, the wife managed to get the motorcycle upright and pushed it outside. She also quickly blotted up the spilt gasoline with some paper towels and tossed them into the toilet. After being treated and released, the man returned home, went upstairs, looked at the shattered patio door and the damage done to his motorcycle, couldn't cope, so he went into the bathroom and consoled himself with a cigarette. While attending to his business, got up, got dressed, threw the cigarette butt in the toilet. The wife, who was in the kitchen, heard a loud explosion. Her husband screaming, finding him lying on the bathroom floor with his trousers blown away, burns to his backside, legs and groin. She once again phoned for an ambulance. The same paramedic crew turned up. As the paramedics were carrying the man again, down the stairs to the ambulance, they asked his wife, how did this this happen? She told them the whole story and they started laughing. And one of the paramedics slipped and he fell off the Guernsey, broke his leg, broke his arm. That's having a bad day. I pray to God that they're looking back on this story and they're having a bit of a laugh. You see, the difference with us 
is how we have a bad day compared to our neighbours having a bad day. Having a bad day doesn't make you a bad Christian. It's making the next day a better day that makes you a better Christian. Having a fearful day doesn't make you a bad Christian. It's the refusal to be mastered by that fear that makes you a better Christian. Having a day where you were down and discouraged doesn't make you a bad Christian. It's being able to pull yourself up out of that mindset that makes you a better Christian. Having a day faced with temptation doesn't make you a bad Christian, but the refusal to give in to it makes you a better Christian. Having a day where you feel like a complete failure doesn't make you a bad Christian. It's realizing that failure is an act, it's not a person, that makes you a better Christian. Our reactions, responses, and the results in life circumstances are the same to everyone else than what's different about us. You see, we're living in a day and age, we're living actually in scary times. We're being bombarded day in, day out by what's going on in and around our world. And I honestly believe this, that every Christian on the planet needs to be on their hands and knees crying out to God for those people that have been persecuted and going through absolute turmoil and loss right now. We can hear it, we can see it, we can know of it, but what's our response to it as godly people? The message this morning is the power of perseverance. The power of perseverance. And my opening text is 2 Corinthians 4, 5 to 10, and then 16 to 18. The Living Bible says this, For we do not go around preaching about ourselves, we preach Christ Jesus the Lord. All we say about ourselves is that we are your servants because of what Jesus has done for us. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made us understand that this light is the brightness of the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. But this precious treasure, the light and power that now shine within us, is held in perishable containers, that is, in our weak bodies. So everyone can see that our glorious power is from God, and not of our own. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get back up again and keep on going. Through suffering, these bodies of ours constantly share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Verse 16 says, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed day by day. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurable great glory that will last forever. So we, look, so we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen for the troubles we see will be over very soon but the joys to come are going to last forever 
the joys to come are going to be continual. They're not going to stop coming. So what is it about you and me? We are Christians. In fact, more so we're disciples. We're called to be disciples, but we don't say that word. So if someone coming in the street and so who are you? I'm a disciple. Well, that sort of turns people off a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> they think that we're in some kind of cult. But the truth is we are. But we say we're Christians and we believe this. What is it that's going to set you apart and then people see the wow factor inside of you? My first point, perseverance is a choice. It is a choice. It is a commitment to your life. You see, if I'm going through a trial, if I'm in a storm right now, if I'm facing an incredible test, if I give up, then I have not the right to stand here and tell you to keep going. I do not have the authority to say, come on, you can do it. It diminishes my influence in your life. I cannot possibly give you the wisdom, the knowledge and the understanding of how to persevere if I quit. And there's always someone on the other end of our obedience. So we've always got to be ready in season or out of season. And when you're facing a trial, when you're in a storm, I call that out of season. But when you're out of season, you can be in season. I grew up in an incredibly abusive home. Gary and I are first-generation Christians. But three, four generations before us, they had the baton to pass it on. But the next generation dropped the baton. Then four generations, in particular in my family, I picked up the baton again and started running with it for my generation. My great-great-grandfather was born again in the Welsh revival. So I have English blood. <laughs> Come on. My grandfather fought in World War II. He was a fighter pilot. Now I was selling field this morning. He came back to Cambridge and went to university. Yeah, Cambridge University. Come on. I'm trying to get Jonathan to see bigger. Cambridge <laughs> University. We have heritage there, Johnny. Do I have to go to university? So we're in that frame of mind right now. He's 15. So I took it up. I, I, I picked up the baton when I was 18. Gary and I got saved together. But I picked it up, broken, hurt, disillusioned, abused, sexually, physically, emotionally. I was a mess. I raised my brother and my sister, father an alcoholic, and my mother had men in and out of the house much of my primary school years. So when I took the baton and I asked Christ into my life, something changed. It had to. Otherwise, it was a waste of time. Revelation came in. Restoration took place over a period of years. And you would never have caught me up here with a microphone today. 
God is a healer. He's a restoring God. We can choose for the storms to consume us, but we can choose to stand up and fight. See, I'm a fighter. I'm feisty. Gary, Gary, when Gary met me, I was feisty. I told him, I'm not getting married. You think you're going to get married to me? I was 16 when I met my, when Gary, with Gary. I said, I'm not getting married. I'm never having kids, just so you know. And then I said, you still want to go out with me? He goes, oh, I've got a bit of a feisty person here. I said, yeah. But over the years, God's tamed me. Okay? So I'm a bit more tempered, but I'm still feisty. My middle son's a bit like me. And he goes, yeah, but mum, you're feisty. I said, yeah. Oh, I feel really bad parenting, Nikki, bad parenting. (laughs) You see, if we give up, we can't strengthen to the degree that we could. We can't comfort to to the degree that we can. We can't give to the degree that God wants us to give. So when we give up, we are saying, God, you're not enough. When we give up, we're saying, God, you're not bigger than my problem. Come on. God is bigger than our problem. He has to be. Otherwise, we might as well all pack up and go home. God is bigger than your problem. In Exodus 14, 10 to 16, Moses tells the people, fear not. Stand still, Amplified Bible, stand still, firm, confident, undismayed and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace and remain at rest. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward. The Living Bible says, tell the people to get moving. So while they are persevering, While they are going through the desert and the wilderness, God is telling the people, keep moving. Come on. One step ahead at a time. One step. One step forward. No matter what you are facing right now, the last thing God wants us to do is to move backwards. Hebrews 11.35 says he's not... He's not liking that. He does not like it when we lose confidence and we back out and say, can't do this. Can't do this. If anything, stand still. Stand still. Hold your ground. Stand firm. Undismayed. And then let God do what he has to do in you. Joshua is told to be strong and courageous. And then the Lord told him, I'm with you. Strong and courageous, I'm with you. I don't think Joshua was a, a weak kind of leader. I don't think he was a, that kind of leader that, oh, God, no. I actually think he was a, a courageous leader. He served under Moses for 40 years. He was one of the 12 spies that went to the promised land and came back with the positive report, by the way. So I don't think he was a a fearful leader. I think he was very courageous. 
Courage comes when you realise God is bigger than your problem. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the refusal to be mastered by that fear. So therefore, if being strong and courageous is not an issue of fear, I think, it's a, I think it's a confirmation of your declaration of your faith. Because I believe that was Joshua. He was strong and courageous. He was told that many times, four times in fact. I think it was a declaration of his faith to say, come on, I can do this. I can do this. Sometimes you've got to say it because God wants to bring out the best in you. He wants to bring something out in you. There is things in here. There is courage. There is tenacity. There is some guts and determination. But you can't just sit there with it. It has to be drawn out of you. So when you make that declaration that I am strong and courageous, you've started it. You've started it being drawn out of you. You have started the work that God started and wants to finish one day in your spirit. But we must make a choice. We must make a choice if that's going to happen. So no matter what you're going through right now, you have to make the decision, okay, I can do this in Jesus. You see, it's not about, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. Second point. <laughs> we could finish now because we know we're not going to finish. Second point. Perseverance requires us to stay focused. When the storms come, the trials come, the tests come, we go, off, we go off track. In fact, some of us try and get a word from God from every single corner of the city. What are you saying? What are you doing? Oh, what am I doing? Oh, oh, yeah, no, I've got to give up. No. You have family members telling you to give up. It's never going to work. It's never going to happen. Yeah, true. If I had have listened to my family, I would not be married to Gary today. Serious. My dad, still to this day, struggles with Gary. That's because Gary tells him straight and says, Mate, come on. Come on, lift yourself up. My mum, victim mentality, and I must say, my mum's a Christian now. Thank you, Jesus. My dad still struggles with that. But you know something? My mum, victim mentality. I had to rise above that in my family. Even married to Gary, she still wanted to dominate how I thought about myself. We must stay focused. Focus requires us to be disciplined when we're going through the storm. Isaiah 54, 1-2 in NIV says, Sing, O barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her husband. 
Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Isaiah was telling them, sing. He was wanting them to make a declaration of the wilderness and the desert time that they were going through. He was provoking the status quo. I like provoking the status quo. My kids sort of move away from me when I start to do things like that and say things because we have no time to be average. We have no time to be living in mediocrity. We're living in urgent days. So God needs all of us together. We are an army together. What you can do, I can't do. What you can do, I can. What you can't, I can. We have to work together. So Isaiah was getting us to lift our voices because the enemy wants to shut our mouths. He wants to stop us praising and worshipping God. He wants to close it. He wants to lock it. He wants to keep being thrown away so that we can't declare how great and glorious God is. So Isaiah was saying, come on, declare it. Declare it over your family. Declare it over your finances. Declare it over your marriage. Declare it over your kids in Jesus' name. Declare it. Don't let the devil have a foothold. You give him an inch and he'll take a mile. He's out to and fro, roaming to see who he can devour. He's not going to get us because we're going to persevere through the storm. We're going to be patient and wait for God, for the miracle. But while we're waiting and while we're moving one step forward, we're going to stay focused on the prize. How difficult was it for Paul and Silas to rejoice in jail? Acts 16, 25. They got saved. People got saved. Chains, the shackles were literally broken, released. People got saved because they chose to praise and worship. And they say, as they praise and worship God in the cell, the decibels hit the neighborhood. People outside could hear them praising and worshipping God. How difficult was it for Joseph to trust God in the pit? Hmm. His brothers threw him in. What about Daniel in the lion's den? Got thrown in. Go on, off you go. The governors and the soldiers were watching. They wanted him to be eaten alive. I mean, you know, we're living in barbaric times. I don't think anything's changed. I think they were more gruesome, actually. Mind you, I'm hearing some stuff and it's not good. They were waiting and wanting to see him eaten alive. But what they saw was a fearless, courageous man of God, undismayed. The lions became his best friend. Governors got set free. (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Wow, they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, horrific, barbaric human being, standing there. Come on, 
wanting to see them being burned alive. Then all of a sudden he saw a fourth person, yeah, walking around the furnace. They came out without a hair singed. Nothing about them smelt. They didn't smell like they'd been in a furnace. They came out as if they went in. Nebuchadnezzar lifted up the name of God. Daniel, in Daniel 4, he lifted up our God throughout the whole nation that we must believe in their God because their God saves. You see, the, the thing about these uh, stories is that they had all been done to them. They, it, wasn't, it was out of their control. People had done it to them. And God rescued all of them. And governments were saved. Influence, influence, influence. Sometimes there are things that are out of our control. But we blame the circumstance. We blame the bank finances. We'll, bl- we'll blame our bosses. We'll blame everybody instead of take it to God. It was out of their control. They chose to trust God. They chose to stay courageous and fearless in the trial, in the storm. God is in control. He's in control when we wake up. He's in control when we go to sleep at night. And he's in control every single moment of the hour of the day. But we have to choose to allow God to be in control. They made a choice. They stayed focused. John Wesley, he has a diary and he tells a story. For about three, two to three months, he went into, into a church to preach in the morning and at night every week. Every week. He was kicked out, told not to come. We don't want you back. Oh, no, go away. Three months later, that would have done most of us. I would have thought, well, I don't think I'm called to this. I would have gone, nah, you can forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. He goes and preaches in a pasture. Oh, I'm going to go and get this. See that block of land over there? I'm just going to go and plant myself there and start preaching. 10,000 people turned up. If he had to quit, that wouldn't have happened. See how important it is? to stay focused when you're persevering through something. Point three, perseverance builds capacity. Builds capacity. Perseverance is building something far greater in you that's not just for you. Perseverance built something far greater in me that wasn't just for me. You see... Building capacity means it's going, God is going to build influence in your life. Who doesn't want to be influential? Who wants to be influential? Absolutely. Because we're here to lift the name of Jesus. I want to influence my neighbours. I'm a runner. I love to run. I want to influence the people when I go run down the street, go, Hi, how are you? I talk to so many people in our community. 
Some of them go, oh, you're running again. I say, yeah, you want to join me? No. <laughs> I had the most amazing conversations. These two elderly people. I was come, running around. I was coming around. They were coming around the corner and I was almost running into them. I said, oh, I'm so sorry, so sorry. And they said, that's okay, lovey. And I stopped. And I said, how are you? And they said, we're good. They said, you're Australian. I said, yes. It's good. The accent helps me. <laughs> sorry, you British people. But you know something? I started to talk to them and I started to speak directly into their spirit. And I said, how, often, how long have you been married? They'd been married for 60 years. And I said, look, I'm a Christian and I'm glad I stopped and I'm glad I'm having a conversation with you. And they said, yes, nice to know an Australian. And I said, I really believe that your daughter is going to get well soon. And they looked at me like they could have dropped on the floor. They said, oh, do you know my daughter? Do you know her? I said, no. I said, but I really feel, because I have a relationship with God, I walk with Jesus, I talk with Jesus, I read my Bible. And they said, so do we. Wow. They've been waiting for their miracle. And I said, your daughter's going to get well. I said, I really felt that when I, when I stopped to pray. They said, no one's ever told us that before. And I said, what church do you go to? There was one around the corner. I said, well, please take this back to your church and say our daughter's going to get well. We believe it. Stand on it and believe God for the miracle. And they said, yes, we will. We'd lost our way a bit, they said. Didn't know if God could work a miracle. You know what? God's not a God of chance. He is a strategic God. And he knows exactly what the people in our community need at every moment of the hour of the day. And they need you. And they need me. Bear Grylls, anyone watching the island? You don't want to put your hand up, do you? The girls and the guys? Girls lost their way last week. They got a bit lost, remember? Bear Grylls says this. He's a born-again Christian. He's not a New Age guru. He says it's positivity, positivity, positivity that's going to get these people through. And you know what? He's right. What we want to do when we're going through a test and a storm, we want to say it's not going to happen. It's never going to, I'm never going to make it. I'm not going to, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm a failure. So we fail before we even keep going. Our son Christopher, 21, nearly 22, got a job not, well, 12 months ago now in a civil engineering company. He does not have a degree. He's dyslexic, feisty, competitive, but he's dyslexic. And we've helped him over the years with that as much as we can as parents. They didn't pick it up with him until he was in year nine. So it was like he had to start all over again in how he had to learn. But we're talking to a, psych a psychologist who dealt with dyslexia in Australia. And she said to him these words, my son lacked confidence. He would not look at you in the eyes. He'd always have his head down. And even when you spoke to him, he'd say, come on, Chris, you can do it. And we were very positive parents. All our kids feel like they can go and conquer the world at times. But who knows, when our teenage kids go through something, they can conquer their bed. And that's it. And they, and they want to lie there for every, like every hour of the moment of the day. Leave me alone, I can't do this. 
Well, this lady told him, do you know something that you are more creative than anyone else in your class? He goes, really? He said, do you know that you have to use your right brain more than your left? Wow. He's sitting there like he was, what, 15. And, he go, and she said, see these people up there, those pictures, Whoopi Goldberg, some presidents, Richard Branson is dyslexic. And, he go, and she said, see these people? all very successful. Now, she wasn't a Christian, okay, but she was get, trying to get him to understand that what you go through in life doesn't have to be it. You don't have to come down to the lowest denominator of how you see yourself. And she was pulling something out of him. So we get in the car, and I'm going, hey, so how'd it go? How'd it go? Because I wasn't in there. How'd it go? He goes, yeah, all right. <laughs> And for the first time, he looked at me in the eyes. And he said, yeah, right. <laughs> Usually he'd go, yeah, right. I had this 15-year-old child for so many years always looking down the ground because he didn't believe in himself, even with us. It took somebody else. That's why we are crucial to play that important part in people's lives, to lift them up, to encourage them, to exhort them and strengthen them and comfort them at times. But if we can't do that ourselves, then you won't be able to do it with someone else. Capacity. Made a choice? You stay focused. It requires discipline to stay focused. Capacity. Perseverance builds character. We hate this word as a church. So many Christians hate the word character. It's always been said with disdain or with a or the fiery hand or the pointing of the finger. You know what? God's grace abounds. His grace abounds. But not to the point where we're sitting down going, okay, can't be bothered. No, grace abounds means, come on, you can do this. I love you anyway, but you can do this. Come on, get moving. You can do this. I love you anyway. I love you. I love you. I died on the cross for you. You can do this. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Second Peter 1, 5 to 8 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. New King James Version says virtue which means moral excellence, any admirable quality, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities on increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and productive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it takes time to add. But the word add is proactive. It means you must do something about it. You must add. It's proactive. It is moving you forward. It is changing you on the inside. It is restoring you. It is consoling you. It is making you a bigger person on the inside. So the temp pegs go out and the stakes go down. It's foundations that go down in our spirit. Character builds the foundations. Self-control builds a foundation. Godliness builds foundation. Goodness builds foundation. Because when the storms come, we've got something to stand strong in. 
We've got something to persevere in. But if we're just wishy-washy and we don't read this Bible, by the way, we don't read it, we don't activate it in our spirit and walk in it daily, then we've got nothing to throw back at it. Jesus was tempted by the devil. He had everything to throw back at him because that's where he needs to stay, out of your life. You see, there are some things in our life we've got to starve. Our flesh wants to stay strong. It wants to dictate how we feel. It wants to dictate what we say about ourselves. It wants to dictate how we think. It wants to dictate to our spirit. Oh, We've got to starve what feeds our flesh. We've got to starve it. We've got to stop it from affecting our spirit. There's some people here, you're tired. You're weary. You're tired emotionally. You're tired physically. You're weary. Wow, come on. We're in this together. Because stronger, we are stronger together. I cannot do this without my husband. I cannot do this even without my children. All week I've been talking about perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. I think they got sick of me. I did it last week as well. Jonathan goes, back off, mum. <laughs> Stephanie said last night, okay, perseverance. I said I hadn't said it yet. Oh, good, it's going in. God wants to strengthen you. He wants to water you this morning. He wants to refresh you this morning. Refresh you. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, only you can do this this morning. I pray that your word is watering. It's refreshing tired, weary bodies, tired spirits. God, I pray you'll restore emotions this morning. Restore physical bodies this morning in Jesus' name. Strengthen everyone here this morning in Jesus' name. Mentally, physically, spiritually in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Rain down on us, Lord. Water us till we're overflowing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Perseverance literally means a refusal to stop. Make a choice. Then stay focused. Allow God to build the capacity. Allow God to build your inner man so that strong character is formed inside of you. My last point Perseverance has eternal rewards. George Muller began praying for five of his friends. After many months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth man was saved. Muller persevered in prayer until his death for the fifth friend, and throughout those 52 years he never gave up hoping that he would accept Christ. His faith was rewarded. For soon after Muller's funeral, the last friend was saved. Perseverance was rewarded. Sometimes we won't see the fruit of us persevering and pushing through. 
and believing for those miracles. Sometimes we have to wait until we're face to face in glory. <laughs> That's an eternal reward. It's an eternal reward. John Stephen Aquani was a Tanzania marathon runner. He was sent in 1968 to the Canadian Olympic Games from his country in Tanzania, 5,000 miles across the water. He starts his race and halfway through stumbles and falls with everybody else trampling on top of him to finish their race. Bleeding from head to toe, he hurt his ankle, hurt some ribs. The paramedics told him, you've got to quit, you can't go on, you, you'll do more damage. They bandaged him up, he said, no, 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 I've got to finish my race, I've got to finish my race. They tried, they urgently told him, don't finish the race, you will do more damage. He said, no, I'm going to keep going. Bandaged, hobbling, hours later, he starts to enter the stadium with sirens, police on motorbikes, ambulances behind him making sure he's not going to collapse and die. There was about two or 3,000 people left in the stadium at that time. And they heard the loudspeaker say, there's someone else coming, there's someone else coming. And this person on the loudspeaker was like, he was, wow, there's someone else coming, it hasn't finished yet. That kind of loudspeaker voice. I would have loved to have been doing that. <laughs> Come on, everyone up on your feet. Come on. Well, that did happen. And they're up there on their feet cheering, championing on this man, John Stephen Aquani, coming through, bandage, still bleeding from head to toe. <laughs> he finished the race hours after the first person actually won. He was interviewed and he was asked this question, why didn't you stop? And he said these words, profound words. My country didn't send me 5,000 miles across the ocean to start any race. <laughs> they sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. God is requiring us this morning to finish our race. You are not going to quit. You might be tired. You might be feeling like you're in a battle zone. And God's saying, you're not finishing, mister. You're not finishing, miss. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit that's going to get you through. We have been called to finish the race. God has not forgotten you. He is right beside us every step of the way. He is for us and not against us. He has us in the palm of his hand. Your influence, remember, is not just for you. It's for the community. It's for the unchurched. It's for the city of Cambridge. Come on. Cambridge needs Jesus. It needs Jesus. Yes. We're going to lift the name of Jesus and God promised he would draw all men unto him. It's a promise. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. 
for further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.